Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before I introduce our guest, I'm excited to share with you a project I've been working on for the last few months. Over the last 14 months, the team and I have spoken with law firm leaders, innovators, entrepreneurs, as well as knowledge professionals. We're hosting a summit with these rock stars to cover actionable strategies and tactics that you can implement for your practice. It's a completely free event and of course will be held virtually and you can register for it at fringelegal.com slash summit. That's S-U-M-M-I-T summit. It's absolutely free. And even if you can't make the date, I encourage you to register so you can actually get access to the recording afterwards. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Today we have a very international episode for you. I'm joined by Seb and Caroline from Love Legal. Seb is the founder and CEO and Caroline the COO. And we are joined across three different countries today. I'm in Chicago, Seb in the UK and Caroline in Canada. So welcome both of you. Hello. Hello. I guess a good point to start would be as you both have quite different stories. Seb, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off with uh, you're the founder and CEO. So what led to the founding of Love Legal and actually what is Love Legal for those I don't know? Yeah, of course. So as you said, my name's Seb Shake. Uh, I, I'm uh, from Love Legal. The way I got into it really is, is probably a different different approach to Caroline's in the sense that my background's uh, tech really. I've always been in tech and, and the business side from being fairly young. So I got into programming, I think from the age of about 13, and I've always had like a really keen interest in in technology. <laughs> so I think when I was around 18, 18, 19 years old, I had a, well, before before I got into legal tech, I had a company just developing websites and apps for people, as you do. It's quite, it, it was interesting, but, you know, I think it was, it was like a constantly wanting to, you know, get my hands on something where you, you keep it and it, you're not building like a tech solution and handing it off, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, so that took me over to, I actually got into a business in a health and safety company. And what we what we did is we built a, a system that produced health and safety doc- documents, mm-hmm. software as a service, which for those of you that don't know, is essentially uh, is, rather than buying the software itself, you download it and then you have it. It's more of a cloud-based service, which you pay a subscription for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a monthly fee rather than a, you know, you, you pay for it once and download it, um, which is a, a real tangent. But I think it sort of brings me back into the place of once, I mean, I, I did that for a couple of years and it's, it's still going now. It turned out to be, you know, a, a decent business, but I left that and decided to do something on my own. And I actually went back to doing building websites and apps and that type of thing for a little bit. And I had an office mm-hmm. based in Burton-on-Trent, which is in the UK. And we were next door to a company that did will writing. So they, they purely did uh, wills uh, and, and estate planning services. And I think one of one of our jobs was we built them a website and, being next door, uh, you know, we were the techies on the block. So I was, right. I was around there quite often, you know, sorting out computer issues and things like that. And one of the things that struck me is being in their office, I would look on their, their wall and they'd have this huge whiteboard. Basically, that was their database and it was on their wall. And when they'd sent a will to someone, 
they would they would wipe off their name from their from one one step of their pipeline, which was on the whiteboard, and write it into another. And then they'll basically take them through this journey. And then when they got to there, they'll just wipe the client's name off the board, and that was it. That was gone. It was like a lost client. So I really see really see you know some <laughs> some benefit to, to, to introducing a CRM system for right. them. You know that would massively benefit the business. Uh, but then on the other side. When I was looking into that, and you know, I was going to upgrade the computers for them, but mm. they couldn't actually run the latest software, uh, the latest computer. I think it was Windows Seven at the time. They couldn't run that because their drafting software that they used um, was, was only compatible with a, an older uh, version. I think it's Windows XP. So mm. I said, you know, naturally, okay, well, I'll sort this out. You, I'll find you a CRM system, and I'll find you, you know, some better legal drafting tools. And and really, when I was looking into it, there was not that much out there. So I, I really saw. Uh, an opportunity mm. in a sense of you know being able to offer a custom software for a company like theirs who they're not you know they're not enterprise they're very much sme sure. but helping them manage manage their practice but also helping the drafting of documents especially wills so really that led me down to building a software package and i did a lot of market testing i met a lot of people in the industry mm. and it, it went from there really uh well i took some time out once i'd established that there was a need and I actually went over to Australia for a bit and built this, built Will Sweep, which is essentially what I wanted that to be, is a, a suite of different applications for, I guess, for, for a will writing estate planning company. And that included, you know, the CRM and the, the, right. the drafting software and the different tools that you might expect. So that was, that was my sort of entry into the legal tech sector. And Obviously, then, my background... And, being, sorry. sorry, just to connect the dots then. So Caroline, you joined... Yep. initially from the will suite point of view right from the yeah. product point and then you sort of moved in so yeah what what's yeah what's the connection there how did you get involved in will suite so basically after i really recognized legal tech as a new industry i started working with seb will suite will suite was already well up and running mm -hmm. profitable and everything um, and then we also launched trust suite when i was working with seb which is another state planning tool for lifetime trusts. Mm -hmm. And then I guess about maybe a year and a half later or so, <laughs> Love Legal came into the picture. And at that time I thought, I mean, I was, I was also pursuing LLB in the UK, but then I was done that. So I was in Canada and I thought, well, we should definitely think about doing this in Canada. And um, so then we, then we started Love Legal in Canada and the UK. Awesome. Uh, and so I think one of the, as I was looking through the website, one of the things that you mentioned in, I think the about section was certainly somewhere on the front page was, you know, when you think about legal, love isn't usually the first emotion. Very, very true. And I like this concept of providing something that's, you know, adding real value to people because certainly, especially the, you know, estate planning, so trust, wills and so on uh, are usually, not always, but usually done you know, during a certainly wells and so on is usually exposed to individuals at a time of grief. It's not exactly the happiest emotion in their life and certainly thinking about it. So I guess what, what led to the name and what's the, the purpose behind what you're trying to do to introduce technology? So, you know, you're offering, I know this from both of you, I guess, that, you know, you want there to be a, a friendly service, but the quality there as well. So it's more transparent for users or something else. Yeah, so I think I think that really draw connecting the dots between Will Suite and Love Legal. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Will Suite got up and running. You know, as Caroline said, you know, we're fairly successful now. We do over a hundred thousand wills and LPAs a year. Uh, so we, we we grew to that point, and then really 
there, there is some big changes in the market. Right. Um, more things are coming online, and you know we work only with businesses, so we we just work with law firms. We don't work with consumer. And one of the things that we were seeing is uh, more and more law firms, our clients, uh, are coming mm -hmm. to us and saying, "Oh, you know, this is great, but do you have anything?" Where the consumer can come on and, and and complete their will, or you know, a lot of people were wanting to make that 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 connection with the technology, not for them to just use to streamline their business, mm -hmm. but also for their the, the consumers to use because there is a growing demand for that, obviously, because their consumers are going to them who are in turn coming to us. So we decided to, I guess, the gap between Will Suite and Love Legal. Mm. We decided to explore that option. We built an API, so some of our users would build, uh, some of our firms would build their own systems, and then they could interact with ours. But really, what we saw is a lot of law firms building tech platforms, and usually you can sort of tell when it's a tech platform built by a law firm because there is a lot of clunkiness. So we really wanted to focus on that and 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 take take the take the I guess the 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 way of doing it away from you know you're filling in a form to more mm -hmm. through. You're going through like a helpful process and um, so we use a lot of like icons and animations and things like that to make the user feel you know a lot a lot warmer and i think you know adding to that it's just the brand you know people don't love legal and 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 if we can help people to love the legal process i think that's that's really where where it came came from really just the brand i mean lovelegal.com suits us perfectly because that's what we're trying to allow people to do you know love the legal process so that's that's really how we got there. I don't know if uh, Caroline wants to add anything to that. No, I think well, Sab definitely pioneered the design of that, and uh, I think that's worked really well. Mm. Um, so there's other solutions where you can build your will online, right? And those have been around for years. I think that's nothing new, but there's definitely a market need for that as well. But I think where there's a huge gap in the market, at least in Canada, um, especially Canada, because I think we're a few years behind in general is consumers can go and do that online but they're not going to get any legal advice so they might have a fun experience they mm -hmm. might have a tech friendly experience convenient because they can do it from home but they're not going to get legal advice or they might get legal advice like there might be an in-house freelance lawyer that is going to review their wills but right. they're still not going to a law firm so then really like that online service is just another law firm for the from them to pick from so what's that led to is number one for the consumers they're lacking really like high quality legal advice with tech mm -hmm. and the choice of any lawyer that they could go to but then the, even more so is the lawyers are like they would love a tech friendly solution in canada i found i almost undersell it like when i'm speaking to law firms because i think that if i say oh yeah the system will draft the will which it, <laughs> like if you put in the correct answers, it's going to draft a will because that's possible. <laughs> but I find myself holding back and I don't want to tell law firms that because in Canada, at least, they're just, they're not accustomed to that idea. So I almost say like, oh yeah, it'll, it'll draft the will for the most part, but you're going to review it. And they seem comforted by that, but and, I guess that and was do, a do, do you think that's because it's still seen as, and I guess for context, it'll be useful to know sort of, you know, are you speaking to solos or small practice or, or large or whatever it might be, but do you think it's because you're holding back because it's seen as a, I guess, a threat to the traditional practice model and how law is practiced at the moment there or something else? So I think when, when we speak uh, about put it, putting in your estate planning wishes online, their mind goes straight away to boilerplate wills online because that's mm. what online wills have been like up to date. Right. And so 
I have to probably say five times throughout my conversation with them, like we do not sell to consumers. We just mm. don't, period. <laughs> End of story. So yeah, so I think that's why where their mind goes straight away. And it's I think it's new to sort of combine the online wills with the law firms. Sure. And Seb, you were going to add something? I think in the UK, it is it is quite different to Canada um, in the sense that, so will writing in the UK is, isn't a regulated activity. So what that means is, you know, anyone could do that. Anyone can write a will um, that's not even uh, a solicitor. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's completely unregulated. And I think uh, we're almost accustomed to that. You know, um, we, we do have estate planning firms who aren't regulated law firms. Mm -hmm. So it, it's more of a relaxed process. And there are, it is more of a common thing just to have it online, write your own will type thing over here, uh, where which is different to Canada because it is regulated over there. So I think people are used to, or much more used to just, I mean, you can go into your local stationery shop here, WH Smiths, for instance, and pick up a pack just to write your own will mm -hmm. and people do do that uh, and you'll probably find the percentage of people doing that is a lot higher in the uk than in canada so i think one one of the things with it being regulated a lot of the law firms all worry about is you know liability and where does that lie you know mm -hmm. if people are just writing their own wills online and it's got the law firm's logo on it i think law firms can be a bit more wary in the, in the sense of you know are they opening up kind of worms in terms of liability and giving advice and that type of thing yeah, I, I think that makes a big difference because, you know, part of it goes around educating just the the consumers about how to best do this, right? Because if the standard option in the UK is just to go to your local WH Smith and pick up a, a mm -hmm. Will's writing pack, as most people tend to, and I've certainly seen those, then they will likely do that, right? If they don't know there is a better option. And because I think inherently, whether it's right or wrong, a lot of people don't really want to engage a law firm or a lawyer if they can find an alternative way for that. Because I think there is still, especially at this sort of, you know, at a one-to-one -one level, there, there often is a stigma attached to, if I go to a lawyer, this is going to cost a lot of money and it might be, it might be yeah. really complicated. They're going to use really complicated words because people tend to go into this sort of jargon-filled legal speak about, you know, bequesting X, Y, and Z, and no one really knows what that means. So actually providing, and I think something you said earlier, Seb, you know, providing a, a simple solution, not just with tech, but actually making sure that you're talking to individuals through your platform, right? So firms are using your, your technology, providing English language guidance rather than, you know, old Latin phrases makes a huge difference for, you know, er everyday people. I was just going to say, like with the consumers, some are not all that excited to engage a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think I don't, like, I'm very curious about it because I have a, have a better understanding of law firms needs or financial advisors, because that's, that's who most of our clients are. Right. But so I, I see a mix because I do think there's a lot of people who really do want to engage a law firm because it gives them that extra security. And they're like, especially for wills, because, you know, you should get your will updated, obviously. But in most consumers' minds, they're going to get one will in their lifetime. Like if they have to spend an extra 300 bucks, most of these people are, are, have, are done their careers, like they have money, so it doesn't bother them. And for that little bit extra security, mm. they're happy to. But I think it, it, it makes a, it makes a difference though, right? Because it depends on who it is. There's probably a, a range of people that are going to lawyers and generally getting wills because those that are, pro there's probably a different segment of the market that is going to 
a law firm as such uh, versus maybe even a solo practitioner and certainly a completely separate segment of the market. And we're talking about unregulated space in the UK, at least that might be going to your local W Smith to pick up a Wills pack. So I think the, the, probably the, the level of understanding might be different. And I, I suspect there's probably a lot of people also that are just Googling will template or wills template or something like that mm -hmm. and using using that as a, a, I guess, a baseline, which, you know, it might be perfectly okay, but to your point, yes, absolutely. It is worth having that as a continuous conversation rather than a one-off. It's like, great, I have a will, I'm sorted. And, you know, 50 years pass and you haven't updated or even looked at it or don't even know where it is. I think one, one thing that you touched on as well is that is quite important. There, there are, you know, big shifts in terms of who the people are that are seeking legal services mm -hmm. and i think one one big thing that does affect it is is age you know mm -hmm. younger people who are coming through and, and, and moving house like you say they, they do just go online they google it that they, they that's what they do they don't pull out the yellow pages and find their local you know their local lawyer or they don't use their family's trusted solicitor you know it, it like myself i'm i mean and, and caroline we're both fairly i guess young when it when looking at um I guess ages of people in the will writing industry yeah. and i think even even clear they put the legal trends report 2019 i'm not sure if you've read that um, but that does compare against how online presence does affect making people's decision it was something like 50 percent of millennials care about a lawyer's website compared to 20 percent mm -hmm. of boomers mm -hmm. so it, you know that, that that's a huge number that's a huge shift in terms of you know if only 20 percent of, of, of the older generation actually care about you know a website compared to 50, like nearly half of uh half of all millennials it's it's going to make a massive impact and obviously you don't grow out of it that will that will that will as people age that will be pulled in so you know more and more people are caring about online and, and technology and, and presence when 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 looking for lawyers so i think it does break down to age yeah. and you know if, if law firms are looking you know looking ahead or looking deep into the future say 15 years um there's going to be a massive change because um wills you know are i think the average age of a testator is i can't remember the exact number but we did a report i think it's around 50 or something like that 45 50 and so it, it is the older generation that are looking at that but in 15 years time more more and more people especially wills are going to be caring about technology so that's that's i guess that's a little bit where a lot of law firms are thinking about so. yeah well and I, I guess as you were saying that my, my what i was thinking about was do you think the law firms are starting to use you know your your platform and others to start appealing to those people and actually not just appealing but also catering to them right so you mentioned you have an api so are they starting to sort of start building and offering these services they can capture this a, a much larger segment of population as they start you know, not just getting online but start looking for these kinds of services because i mean i i imagine although i have no idea i'm just making this up that most people probably in their 20s or or younger aren't going out there searching for will writing services or you know estate planning and so on or trust or power attorneys unless they have a specific need to do so but you know as you move into your 30s and 40s and so on that is probably something that you get more and more exposed to and i think if there is a way for firms or practitioners or, or financial institutions to start capturing that i imagine they would want to i was going to say because you might have a different answer for will suite versus love legal mm. so it might be nice to give a quick like summary of what each is so will suite will help lawyers draft wills themselves but the mm. client never sees anything like the client might come in but and the lawyer would use the software but the client 
would have a normal experience. Right. Whereas with Love Legal, we also help draft the will, but we'll actually, the client will come in say, hey, I want a will. I want um, my house to go to this beneficiary and so on. But the lawyer will actually send the client a link so they can fill that stuff out online or they could fill out some with the lawyer, but it's about entering their wishes online. Okay, so one, just so I can, I'm clear. So one is more, I guess, the, the, the will suite aspect of it is probably more akin to how most law firms will work, right? So they are using something in the back end in their own systems to compile this document, the will in this case. Uh, whereas the other one is more of a client facing experience is more like an app where you're capturing information from your client around you know who their what the estate is who the beneficiaries might be the personal details and then working with the client to then come up with the actual will based on you know whatever the wishes might be and so on yeah so i think the the key difference between them for anyone using them is uh, we'll see it would improve the lawyer's efficiency and, mm -hmm. you know, ease of use, whereas Love Legal, the client is actually going to see it and you could use it to gain new clients and like as a marketing tool as well. Okay. But Seb is going to be a lot better, actually. Seb, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that's, uh, you know, just a simple way of explaining it is Will Suite is, you know, your traditional model, as, as mentioned, is uh, drafting software for, for law firms yeah. very much b2b whereas love legal is is b2b to c although i know there's, there's there's very much a focus on wills but i think obviously it's worth setting it straight that you know we are doing the wills with with love legal but that's not you know that's not the that's not the end game that, right. that that should be or we're we're aiming for that to be one of our products because there's plenty of you know i mean that's the end because that's our experience and background but as we grow we'll bring in different expertise in different areas to uh, to expand the services um, because you know will sweet will stay at wills and, and i think really the focus of the conversation probably would be moving over to to love legal in the sense that th this is will sweet caters for the, the current needs you know uh, law firms uh, a lot of law firms are using software even if it's microsoft word currently so you know there's nothing there's nothing groundbreaking there but whereas love legal or what we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to uh, ride a shift in the market where consumer is is wanting you know uh, online they people won't pe and people's expectations will change you know if, if people are moving house more and more people uh, will probably expect their their you know to have updates where they can just log on to something mm -hmm. for instance and you know see where they are see what's happening rather than and it's beneficial for a law firm as well because they don't want clients ringing up oh you know every single day where are we where are we right. that, that, that's you know quite quite a common thing currently but but more and more law firms will want to shift over, over to that and i think expectations from the consumer will will, will change you know going forward and is is already changing uh, in terms of technology so that's I think that's that's really the, the difference. You know, Will Sweets uh, fits the current need. Um, Love Legal is more a bit more forward looking, and it is consumer, I guess, consumer focused as opposed to just yep. on the business. I guess one of the points that you both mentioned, I guess, that kind of touched on is this is as much about making the current processes a bit more modern as much as it is about shepherding the 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 next change wave so you know what is to come as people start working in different ways as they as their expectations and their needs change and certainly the perceptions about how services and businesses delivered and done changes so with that in mind and as the backdrop and the i guess the advancement of technologies and so on we sort of talked about and certainly one of the things that may be relevant here is leveraging other instruments such as smart contracts certainly and you know especially looking at wills and so on it makes a lot of sense do, do you think that's something 
that's going to become a more I'm not asking for an, an estimate, I guess, but something that's going to uh, start coming more into focus within within this realm, right? So within the Wales Trust estate planning kind of work. So I don't know if it's going to in general, so I should elaborate on that point, but we definitely have, well, actually, Seth, okay, talk about the... The registry. Oh, and actually, sorry, before you do that, just for anyone who yeah. doesn't know what a smart contract is, if we do go into that realm, just a really very, very simple definition is essentially think of it as a simple agreement, and so please correct me, a simple agreement between two people, usually run on form of a computer code. It runs on frequently the blockchain. So you can listen to one of the previous episodes with Steve Gassi on what the blockchain is, and which means that essentially the idea with a smart contract is once a certain event happens, it's automatically executed without requiring a third party. So in the, in, you know, I guess in the realm of wills and so on, uh, if something happens uh, where the will needs to be executed and you do not need to go to a lawyer, it sort of gets fed back in there. Uh, that, that's my sort of oversimplified definition of what a smart contract is. So please feel free to add, uh, add to that, but certainly I'll sort of, leave, sort of delve that deeper into that as well. Yeah, of course. And so, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of things that you can think of that um, almost do end up being a bit a bit far-fetched in terms of, you know, wills being automatically ex executed and, you know, money automatically transferring to beneficiaries as soon as, you know, uh, a, a death is logged, for instance. But, you know, I think probably in the closer run, certainly um, there are things uh, and, you know, there's a lot of firms out there talking about, you know, oh, what's the, how's the blockchain going to change things and how smart contracts going to affect this and machine learning going to affect that. But, you know, I think probably one i think probably a good good way of looking at it is you know what can it do for us now in a way that will be beneficial rather than just using buzzwords uh, or it, it sounds like a marketing tactic and you know i think one big thing that we see in wills is is fraud you know people will you know it, mm -hmm. when money's involved people will you know they, they will write wills on other, other people's behalf or for instance even if a will's been made you know another o might be added in there into someone's gift and right. it, you know it does happen it happens quite quite frequently and you know where where the blockchain could could i guess improve that is obviously having a, a service because you know I, i'm sure you've, you 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 you've mentioned but for, for anyone that's i guess not quite read up on blockchains <laughs> essentially an easy definition of it is a public a public database really i guess for one in most cases probably doesn't have a you know a central government so so it's a central body that can change it and alter it and i think that's you know that, that's probably the gist of it and one one area that it could help wills and will registration is by ensuring that wills could be uh, i guess essentially tamper proof mm -hmm. and you know login changes to wills so a will uh, you probably wouldn't want to be on a public register because the contents of it you wouldn't want known right. but you know one thing that we're looking into doing to, to i guess to improve our service without even marketing you know the blockchain and we're doing this and that's just generally a good idea is one thing we want to explore is uh, having a public reg register of wills but storing a say say like a hash so essentially taking all the contents of the will converting that into a number maybe like a short hash that, that that can't be reversed so you can't essentially understand the contents of it but but making that public and then if the will is, is registered with us so someone's written their will mm -hmm. and, and and that will is put on our register then what would happen is when that person dies and the will's discovered the the, the person that's discovered the will can verify that you know the contents of that will that they're reading right there and then 
uh, hasn't been changed or hasn't been altered anyways. I mean, you see it, you see it all the time, uh, right. like checksums on files, and um, it happens across those different things. But that's not currently something that we see in wills and where there are will registries. I mean, because there is, there are um, a couple of will registries in the in the UK that set up, but they're essentially just saying. Uh, yeah, here's a person, they've got a will and it's stored here. But, you know, there's no protection against against that will being modified. So I think there are improvements that blockchain can help make. And, and by it being, you know, almost tamper-proof, it stops any sort of, I guess, malicious party or malicious entity that might be working within the governance of it to actually go in and change it. So essentially, if we were running it, then even as ourselves can't go in and tweak it. And, and you know uh, and say something different so i think that's one area in, in will's where you know blockchain could 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 be uh, quite a big improvement it sounds like certainly the the fraud uh, protection aspect is a huge benefit and certainly from and, and that affects you know all parties involved and from a i guess from your client so you know the the businesses for them i guess it might also be a ease of use kind of thing, right? So if you're a financial advisor, making sure that having this, whether you're using a world registry or blockchain or some other, some other database, you know, basically almost sort of set it and forget it, but knowing that there are checks and balances and uh, transparent steps built in. So everyone involved is able to sort of check on the status of that makes it quite easy for them as well, right? And sort of, again, reduces fraud and the risk of some sort of mismanagement down the line. Because I imagine, especially if wills are drafted, hopefully they don't need to be executed for a long, long time. You know, people might change yeah, that are involved. So, you know, the initial person that may have drafted may no longer work at a accountant or financial institution or even at the law firm. Uh, so this allows for that, the, that continuity part. Yeah. I was going to add on to what you said, Ab. I think the ease of use is actually a huge thing because mm -hmm. so with the fraud, obviously that's going to be a very specific claim that's going to come up sometimes. Right. And I think uh, when you're thinking about litigation, like a state litigation, I think it's one thing to remember is that, like I think in some people's minds, you're a lawyer might do so much like research for this will, but when it comes down to it in the state litigation, like the firms are busy, like they're going to do their best to, you know, find a will, but actually making it really easy to see if a will has been registered anywhere like the whole fraud issue aside just seeing that it has been registered is going to make it so much more likely that like they discover a will at all and the the global nature of the blockchain i think would be huge because some well at least in canada some provinces like bc has a government-run will registry but alberta doesn't and then quebec does like it's it's so segmented and and sort of just a mess but which is funny because if you think marriage or death certificates, those are all government run. Like there's a, a database for it. It's easily searchable. Like, mm. you know, the government has done a good job of it. But yeah, if the global nature of blockchain means that it wouldn't be just tied to a certain province's government, right? So I think, yeah. so even if a, a lawyer just wanted to check if something was registered or even um, not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, and I think, and the, the other thing that certainly excites me generally about this area is if you're doing something where it needs to become a, a smart contract, and I'm putting that in air quotes, then it means that generally by definition, it needs to be made as simple as possible, right? Because if you are trying to code some of these things, which can sometimes be a little bit abstract, then you need to do so in a logical way, which means eventually 
you could, and I'm saying whether this applies to you here or not, and a lot of this is very much armchair speculation because we don't know how much of this will come true, but you know that means that you can then actually do other things like go through and sort the data, right? As a as an individual who may or may be affected by this, or as a lawyer, you can actually go and you know query this database potentially for your clients, and, and again make things easy and really very simply just output out certain things to say, great, this is on execution. These are the you know four things that actually happen, rather than you needing to read a twenty-page agreement to really figure out all the nuts and bolts of it. You can actually essentially get a executive summary kind of thing. But again, as I said, that's a lot of speculation on my part. That's interesting because I think then it would mean that the contents of it would be public, which we well you can have, but are you ref? Are you so referring it to, yeah, it doesn't have to be public. It could just be exposed to the right individuals who can then sort of query it, right? So if someone has the key, um, a private key, for example, to be able to query that database and to expose some of the con content, they can query it to actually get the, the just a key, almost a bullet point version of it. I'm obviously oversimplifying. And this doesn't exist to my knowledge, but it could just be a potential benefit. So as a lawyer, if you are managing, let's say, the wills and estates for an entire, you know, for a large family, and uh, and you want to, and they want to know, okay, look, we want to find out, you know, what's in the estate of our kids and what we've sort of listed for our grandchildren and so on and so on, uh, then you could really uh, query that using a certain string to say, great, give me everything that sort of gets executed on the death of the the family or the the. The right. father, for example, and sort of get a, a chain effect there, potentially. Again, as I said, very much speculation on my part. I am not an yeah. expert in this, but it just, I think the idea that you would need to make this simply and actually make the agreement structured is the key point for me, which means if you have structured data, there's a lot more you can do with it. And whether you do something with it or not is a whole other thing. So I think in general, if legal contracts move over to the more structured data approach, which is readable by, you know, humans as well as machines fairly easy. I mean, you've got things like a natural language process and right. that's getting better and better at picking these things out. But if it was more of a structured approach and they all follow the same sort of uh, data, then I think, you know, what you're saying in terms of just releasing like certain information of that contract to certain people that need to be able to view it, that's, that's you know, not necessarily just applicable to wills. That's something that would just benefit the industry as a whole, the whole legal sector. I think there's, there's so many applications going forwards and yeah, I know it would be good to speculate that that would happen that, that the contracts work would work in that way and you know law firms would almost code their contracts and and, and there were more say objects of you know executive list of executives and list of yeah. gifts that, that that is a bit more understandable i think obviously we'll, a, a lot of a lot of different things would have to fall into place at the same time to be able to get to this i guess uh, utopia that we're talking about in <laughs> right. terms of you know automatic wills just executing themselves and you know the grant of probate just you know just just popping popping in when someone when someone dies within you know two seconds it's it's i guess it is a lot of speculation but you know, it would be it would be it would be great you know, everyone's wearing their heart monitors and as soon as that person dies and bang you know people have got money in their accounts because it's probably a bad way to find out one of your family members have died uh, just you know getting a ping on from Revolut that you know you yeah, just exactly. had to <laughs> yeah it's a fine line so you still need to have some um, yeah i think human element built in there <laughs> it is yeah because that human element yeah it is important and you know if you think of the, the max that technology could get that's you know that's probably getting pretty close but you know imagine life being like that you know i think 
he see sometimes it's, it's gone too far. I think that probably would be an instance where it may just across the line. So, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I think as soon as you bring the courts into the conversation, it becomes uh, more interesting, but also a lot more useful because I feel like, you know, Love Legal right now, like if we're talking about back to Love Legal, out of the registry blockchain utopia world, that's a service between lawyers and, and clients. But where it really gets interesting and really useful is if you involve the courts, because I think the lawyers are like, can be so innovative and tech forward with their clients. But at the end of the day, at least if they're doing litigation, then they have to like comply with the courts, which want everything in, in paper. And, and that's where they're really like, is, I think it is sort of stopping them from innovating. So if you were really able to get the courts on board and they would use that, mm. that registry, but then it, you could use it for probate. And I think, yeah, that would be really, really useful. Yeah. And uh, very much because I think it needs to be throughout the entire legal supply chain, right? So the all the way from having, I guess, the want from the end consumer, um, all the way through to lawyers adopting technology and using services like your, you guys, uh, as well as then, you know, judges accepting certain things in a certain format uh, that allows people to be able to innovate and sort of move into a more digital realm. Uh, so I think all of those things do need to happen, which is why I think probably realistically, a lot of these, and some of these things will, may never happen, who knows, uh, but a lot of these will certainly take a long time. And most most things that are, not to use the cliche word disruptive, but most things like that take a while because you start sort of chipping at it slowly by slowly. And eventually there is a substantial shift in just the way work is done. And that just becomes the new norm eventually. Mm -hmm. I was going to add, I think you asked us this question a while ago and we just never really answered it, but I think you asked how, basically how do lawyers react? And then mm. I was just thinking how courts react and actually like, I think that lawyers and, and the courts almost get a bit of a bad rep within legal tech. Like, oh, they're so, you know, behind, like they're taking so long, they're light years behind, but I think they really are so eager to, mm -hmm. to innovate and, and they just don't have time. Like lawyers are are so busy, especially if they're in litigation, mm. that like they would love a solution. They would love to be more efficient, but yeah. So I think if third parties uh, present them with a, a good solution that is easy to implement, then they're, they take to it really well. Like if you're speaking to the right lawyers, obviously. <laughs> yeah, very much so. No, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, the lawyers and other law firm leaders I've spoken to, for the most part, they want to make things better for their clients for, you know, you know, and if you're a law firm leader for their lawyers, and it's just finding that right balance of how to do it and what to use to do it and then getting the people on board. And time is certainly a big, big challenge there, but you know, and the, the change piece is difficult because sometimes it is the perception of change, uh, whether it might be really simple and doesn't really affect how much they need to learn maybe it's a really simple thing they can adopt pretty pretty quickly but i think the mm -hmm. the perception they've had and have built over 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 time just tells them because obviously if you go back you know 10 20 years a lot of technology was difficult uh, you had to learn mm -hmm. quite a lot to be able to use it and that's not the case now with a lot of the SaaS solutions and otherwise so i think you know they people need to just be a bit more open just accept that, you know, things have changed. Uh, people focus a lot more on, on design, on UI, UX, just to make the adoption as easy as possible. 
but it still is a continuous battle, I'm sure. And, you know, people, even if people want to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I think it has to go even once the lawyers adopt something. This is not like strictly related to estate planning at all, mm -hmm. but just general, I guess, legal tech adoption or legal innovation is once it goes to the lawyer, then it's going to have to go to the judge, which is normally like the judges are getting their opinions from the lawyers, right? Like, for example, I saw I was watching someone's bar call the other day and um, the lawyer was basically giving a speech about, you know, I, I helped this person um, right. get called to the bar. But really, most of his speech was telling the judge, you know, we need to get like trials need to happen quicker. Like if I go to book a trial, it's, it's two years ahead. That's just ridiculous. Like I can't practice like that. So it was really his opportunity to tell the judge this is what the problem is in the legal system right now. So I think I, I guess I'm just speaking to I'm almost defending lawyers and <laughs> why it takes so long to, to innovate because it has to go from the consumer to the lawyer, to the lawyer that's in the litigation, to the judge, and then the judge, but the judge is like, so like really wants to improve this. So they're no. trying. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. And I'm conscious of both of your time. So as you come to wrap up, I guess two things. One is if people want to find out more about either of you or any Love Legal, where did they go? And in wrapping up, it'd be good to hear what's next for you, what's next for you guys as you sort of continue on your journey. Yes, that's Love Legal. Yeah, so if you can uh, find out more about Love Legal and, and the services we offer, we're just on lovelegal.com. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, Subshake, and or my surname is called SHAKH, which is a, bit, a little bit odd. And in terms of where we're going, you know, we're very much running it as a startup. We've got the ability to do that. So we are, you know, seeing how things go. We will go in the flow of, of I guess, we'll listen to a lot of feedback from our, from our users in terms of, you know, what, what different areas in the legal market. You know, obviously our end goal is, you know, we want to take over the world essentially as everyone does. Um, but, you know, currently we're in, we're, we're in the wheels market in, uh, in, in the UK, Canada. And, and obviously we're just looking at uh, expanding into Australia at the minute. Um, but really, I think uh, we, we want to look in terms of different areas of, of, of legal. So, you know, conveyancing is, is probably one. I mean, probate also mm -hmm. lends itself to where we are currently. But really, we, we want to be able to allow law firms across across the board, really, just to make make the legal services uh, that they're offering to their clients better. So I think that's that's where we're seeing things in, in the long run. I think. Yeah. Perfect. And I will certainly list out um, all the links, including your LinkedIn profiles, and so it's easy for people to find. Yeah, we look forward to following the journey and seeing what's next. Yeah, and, and seeing how this how this entire segment changes over the next uh, next few years. Thank you both for your time. I appreciate the chat. Thank you, Ab. Great. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you, Ab. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.